of the preacher When the story began Of the choice of a lady And the love of a man This is the Counterculture Comic Podcast And yes, it's that time The time of the preacher We've been putting this off for a long time And now there is a show, the time has come We're reviewing Preacher Volumes 1 through 3 course we'll talk a little bit about the show and whatever news is fit to blather about i'm nick hemsing and i'm brock Beauchamp. a little bit late because i had to catch a wild eevee in my backyard what the hell is a wild eevee i know you're not playing pokemon go man it's probably for the best oh I, game... you, know, you know what actually sadly i am <laughs> uh have you chosen a team yet no no you haven't okay i'm leaning I... toward blue but i remain uncommitted but I have caught uh, over 30 Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, it's probably about how many I've caught. I when just started start? yesterday. Yeah, I just started uh, Friday. It's everything that I, I actually thought we'd talk about Pokemon Go later, but I guess we're going to now because you're playing. Evidently, it's the time of the Pokemon. Uh, right. Yeah, it's the time of the Pokemon. Um, yeah, it's. I don't know if you played Ingress. Nope. You didn't? Okay, so Pokemon Go is kind it it lifts heavily from Ingress, except it's engaging in all the ways that Ingress wasn't for me. Ingress was just kind of walking around and finding points of interaction. Uh, so you would just travel from checkpoint to checkpoint essentially. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of things to do in between those times, at least not when I was playing, which was early in its life cycle. But Pokemon I can just sit in my backyard and the damn things spawn. So <laughs> it's like you're, when you're walking between checkpoints, there's a lot more to do. And the game is addictive in a way that I'm not finding ingr- that I didn't find ingress at all. Well, so far, only the picking up Pokemon parts and finding the little spawn points. Is addictive. I haven't fought anything yet. No, I haven't gone to a gym yet and uh, started doing that part of the game, but just walking around and, uh, you, Nick knows where I live. He's been here. Um, there's a large parkway, and that is just littered with the little Pokestops. Oh, okay. So I can just walk up and down that and just keep collecting crap. And that has kept me amused in the short term. But uh, I'm going to be interested to see how the game progresses once I'm, say, level 10. All right. Well, the uh, What's the highest level combat power Pokemon you picked up? Uh, I just caught the Wild Eevee, which was 110, I think. Ha! Ha! I spit on your 110. Well, that's the... I think I have one that's higher than that, but I've powered it up to get past okay. that point. Uh, the Wild Eevee is the highest that I've caught. I, I, pick, uh, I have a 288. Nice. I don't have one in the 200s yet. I, I and again, a, I started uh, playing at like 7 o'clock last night. I have a Rapid Dash. I don't know what that means, but... It's a horse with flames. It did. Uh, this game did allow me to say one of the most awesome things I've said in a long time. <laughs> Last night I walked into the house and said to my wife, Hey, I just caught Squirtle in the alley. <laughs> Which, taken out of context, could mean so many different things. And like yes. one of my friends said, Yeah, and I caught Krabby in the park down the block. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, wonderful. I do appreciate the uh, side effect of Pokemon's Go's popularity, and that is people finding dead bodies throughout the United States. <laughs> yeah. Evidently, Pokemon are killing people, and people are finding them over their yes. bodies. <laughs> um, the uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting for the first Pokemon related uh, death. Did oh yeah, somebody's going to walk out into traffic for yeah. sure. Somebody's already caused accidents. Accidents have already been. Oh created. yeah, yep. Because as I found out. Being in a car and moving along is a really good way to catch Pokemon. <laughs> oh, really? I, I haven't done it in a car I, yet. So, yeah. Uh, so I was luckily, uh, lucky enough to be a passenger for a part of the day yesterday. And I just sat there looking at my phone. 
Good. All right. All right. It popped up. It popped up. We're still moving along. Quick, quick. Hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. <laughs> the only thing that's really annoying is the car turns and your phone turns with yes, it. Yes, your phone turns with it. So you have to so you keep have, it safe. So you have to this weird contorting trying to find out exactly where it is. So I'm like pointing the, the phone back at me. Yeah. Uh, You're straddling the, uh, looking, your car seat backwards with your legs <laughs> in the back seat trying no, no, to catch I, a Pokemon. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to catch it upside down because I'm looking down at my phone as it's pointing behind me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is i i i, I there's no way that i cannot make this sound in some way pathetic that i am going to yes. look back at and go what the fuck was i doing with my yes. time oh the life decisions i made and yeah. how much i regret them yes um so yeah that was the yeah uh, i it was it started with the people from work god damn it oh yeah yeah i imagine people, all the, the people there were people who walked a little bit in the office with their phone just to grab a Pokemon. Oh, yeah, for sure. And they spawned all over my office because evidently everybody in the fucking office is playing. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I mean, given where you work. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so. Sure. I wonder, um, in my last contract, I was on the 18th floor. Like, will Pokemon spawn on the 18th floor of a skyscraper in downtown Minneapolis? I don't know, but I kind of want to go back to that work. Mm-hmm. just to find out. Well, and I think a downtown area is really prime real estate to get yourself killed while playing Pokemon <laughs> Go. It is. You're uh, standing in the middle of a six-lane road, like, waving people off so you can chase down a Squirtle or something. Yeah, but people are going to be bumping the hell into each other on the Skyway. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, there's going to be some serious people with just bouncing off others. So the uh, I, I'm sure there will be no end of the humor. Yeah, at least they were smart enough, it appears, that they don't allow players to create spawn points. Because can you imagine like the New York subway where they're like, <laughs> there's, there's the infamous <laughs> third rail Pokemon? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. If, if, if people were creating spawn points, somebody would take a boat out into the middle of a lake. Oh, yeah. Just drop spawn points there. The uh, or you know some some asshole who works at uh, some asshole that works at an airport would start dropping them in the middle of the runway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just some kid, some kid sitting at the terminal, looking out, <laughs> looking down at his phone, looking out, and he's looking for the exits. <laughs> there is the rarest Pokemon is found in the middle of the reactor of the San Onofre nuclear power plant. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> oh goodness! Find some kid fried up against one of the pipes or something. Yeah. <laughs> phone, phone grasped in his hand. Yes, <laughs> the dancing little image of it running right in front of him. <laughs> oh goodness! But anyway, it's a pretty fun game, and I'm enjoying it. I don't know what kind of legs it'll have oh, because. Yeah, it- this looks like it's going to have like two weeks legs with me, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, part of the problem with games like this is that there is an extreme power inequity that forms and it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. You know, if you're, if you live in a neighborhood where everyone is 30 levels higher than you, they're just going to take every gym. And that has kind of happened to an extent with Ingress, where it's really hard for um, an inexperienced player, low-level player, to even participate, especially if you live in a populated area, mm. because all the high-level people coordinate and take everything over. All the uh, there was somebody who wrote an article saying that they uh, they realized that a black as a black person they were going to have trouble playing Pokemon Go. Yeah, I was just reading an article. Uh, this morning about somebody who is like a 40-ish white man and he was in this park at 3 a.m. and he walked by these two uh, black men in their 20s and one of them's like, hey, 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 there's a rare Pokemon over by that truck. So he walks (laughs) over and he catches the Pokemon and so he walks back and he's like, I didn't ever expect to have anything to talk about in common with these two, you know, 20-something black men hanging out at 3 a.m. in a park 
And sure enough, the cops roll up and they had to spend five minutes explaining to the cops what Pokemon Go was and that <laughs> it was not a drug deal. <laughs> and then it, 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 it ended great, though, because, you know, with all the bad news we have about cops lately, it's nice to hear something nice. By the end of the conversation, they had convinced the police officer to install Pokemon Go on his phone and explain to him how to play it. <laughs> nice. So, you know, that's pretty great. Yeah, they're yeah, okay. Yeah, we can move on. Yeah, we can move on. Uh, Ghostbusters is some of the reviews are kind of creeping out for it now, and oh, thank Jesus, the reviews I've seen too, both were positive. I I just so want this movie to not suck. Yeah, the, well, I want it to be good because I I, I say I like po- Ghostbusters in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I have my doubts about this movie. Um, the, uh, but I generally want movies to be good. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, uh, you know, just so, you know, one, it's more for me to enjoy. Mm. And the, uh, if somebody's going to make something for a Ghostbusters, I want it to do well because I want, I, I, I like Ghostbusters and I don't mind if they start reviving it for a new generation. Sure. Um, the, uh, but the, uh, and also there's a little bit of me that was also like, I really don't want assholes on the internet to be right. Yeah, that that was one of the big things for me as well. Is I like you, I just want to see a good movie. You know, that first and foremost, I don't want things to suck because, well, then it's something that has been not taken away, but it's one less thing I can enjoy in the world. Yeah. But then on the other hand, all these MRA dipshits. I do not want them to be right. I do not want them to be right, especially because they're just so steeped in negativity. And who wants something to suck? Yeah, I, I, I don't get that thought. Nope they uh, uh, they want they want it to suck because they want to be right. Yep, um, it's not a good reason, and not a good reason. So, no, uh, I mean, and the everything. I mean, every, most of the movies that have come out of that camp so far have been great. Um, Melissa McCarthy is only of a movie she put out. Why don't you put out one movie that was unwatchable? Um, all the others were pretty great. What was that? Uh, uh, Identity Thief. Oh, you told me about that. Yeah, God, that movie. That movie's wretched. Don't were, see it. Uh, are the people with Jason, with Jason Bateman, Bateman too? And and, and I, it's really a shame because that movie is horrible. Yeah, we talked about it. I don't know, fifteen episodes ago or so. Um. Now, Spy, are, are these the same people behind uh, Spy? Uh, he did, uh, yes. This oh, is okay. The same spy movies. was good. Yeah, Spy was great. Um, the uh, Who directed? Oh, okay. Uh, not the same. Identity Thief was not the same director. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, Paul. Uh, how do you say the, his name? Paul, Paul Feig, 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 I thought. Feig, or, I don't know. Um, the... Uh, yeah, the same person who did directed Identity Thief directed Horrible Bosses, which was a great movie. Oh, okay, um, I've seen that. But for some reason, Identity Thief is horrible. Um, but anyway, the uh, yeah, but this this group, um, you know, uh, this group of movies uh, with Paul Feig have been great, and he has people. He he, you know, uh, Melissa McCarthy has been a go to him go to for him, and she's been great. Um, so, I mean, there's a, there's enough out there to say, okay, you know, we have to have some faith in their ability to make a good movie. Um, but with the, we had some problems with a little bit of the concept. Yeah. I, I, I'm still not sold on the fact that it's a reboot. Um, but it's instead of just a legacy movie, but yeah. Somebody who I met just last weekend, he's the guy who wrote the screenplay for Doctor Strange. And we Mm -hmm. were talking about it for a couple minutes. And he brought up a good point. He said, well, if you make it a legacy movie, it doesn't make a lot of sense because the concept of Ghostbusters is they're outcasts. And nobody believes in what they're trying to do. But this would be the third or fourth time that New York has been, you know, overrun by ghosts how can you keep carrying that concept along and 
I could see his point. I still have reservations about it not being a legacy movie, but that is a pretty legitimate argument for it to be a reboot. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just it's just going to be weird to see that to see uh it's just going to be weird to see a retread uh yeah, in that way in that way. On top of but, that, there are some serious issues with it being a legacy film because they've had a lot of difficulty getting those actors on board and one of them's dead now. But getting those actors back on board to come back, I mean, would they even accept a minor role as they pass the torch? And second, can you afford them? Yeah. You know, well, so the, there are uh, some purely financial logistical problems that go along with it being a legacy film. But I still would have liked to see it as a legacy film. Yeah. Well, the uh, but it's it's back and it's the reviews are coming in positive so we Great. can go watch it and not have to and not have to feel like we're going to grit our teeth yep. um so good i'm happy more more to enjoy the uh uh i'll probably see it in the next couple of weeks here and it's great that something is coming out this summer because this summer has really been crappy I mean, you you had the movie, you had Civil War, you know, basically in the spring. Mm -hmm. And since then, I haven't gone to the theater. Yeah, the um, uh, the big blockbuster of the season was supposed to be Independence Day. um, And no fucking way am I watching that movie. Well, here's the funny thing. So you don't like the original movie. Yeah, Um, I think it's it, it. The I thought the movie was fun. Um, oh, and, and I totally get that. I just thought it was so incredibly lazy. I couldn't get over. Oh yeah, you know. But I, I was reading reviews of the current one, and mm-hmm. the uh, the 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 biggest problem they have, and this is a huge problem with with uh, current blockbusters, especially when they're trying to dip into old stuff, mm-hmm. is that they forget that there was a charm. the uh, The original Independence Day had some charm to it. The, I hated uh, the movie, and even I'll admit that it had there was everything you know. It, the uh, there is there is a, a, a certain levity to it that comes with you know with that movie that that makes it not just a sci-fi uh, you know a special effects spectacle, which mm-hmm. is I mean a large portion of what it was. But without that charm, the uh, you don't really have anything to you don't really have anything to endear you to characters. Um, and the first one had weird, goofy pieces here and there. Yeah. Like Brent um, Spiner's the area 51 yeah. scientist, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And just basically, uh, and, and then of course, uh, uh, Randy Quaid in general. Right. Um, oh, and that the, was yeah. actually, I can't stand Randy Quaid. I've never been able to stand him. So that was, that was one of the reasons I didn't like the original, but it, I admit that my dislike of Randy Quaid is borderline irrational at best. So <laughs> evidently you're not much of a you're not much of a vacation fan. No, I, I every time his character would show up, I'd just groan. <laughs> I, I enjoyed a lot of the vacation movies, but I could just fast forward through all the Randy Quaid parts. Alright, alright. The uh uh but anyway, it was uh so that was the problem. I guess it was they went all for spectacle. And then they basically said it, it, it basically what I heard was it was just man, mankind fighting back against the aliens. And that's pretty much what it was. Um, the uh, and the, this time, instead of mankind being uh, being the aliens because mankind was somehow clever, mm-hmm. um, mankind was more of just lucky. Oh, OK. Uh, so it's kind of a it's that's why I mean, I, so that movie kind of fell flat. Um, and it's just not, uh, I, I think that these days when Hollywood goes back to try and make a spectacle, they are forgetting charm. And in in nineties, uh, nineties and early thousands, uh, big blockbuster special effects spectacle movies, somehow most of them, the only reason they're actually remembered is because they had charm. Yeah. I mean, uh, now the only reason Jurassic Park is remembered is not simply because it had charm, but no. it, it well, is a great example of combining and weaving solid storytelling, amazing special effects, 
And, you know, there's a lot of charm in that movie of, you know, Jeff Goldblum's character, the two kids who were kids, but not overly annoying and yeah. whiny, like you but often you, but, get. But if you took out the kids and you took out Jeff Goldblum, that movie would that movie would be um, exciting, not memorable. Yeah, I, it was just another layer that added to the the film. Yes. Yeah, there's uh, a little bit too much serious face going on, which, you know, yeah. if you try to turn Independence Day into a serious film, you're going up directly against, you know, Civil War, which is very serious, but it also has loads of charm. Oh, yeah. I mean, why? And, and people forget that about those Marvel movies, those big movies. I mean, look at fucking Spider-Man. Spider-Man almost single-handedly lifted that movie into the, uh, you know, he brought the the joy to that movie. Yeah, he and Ant-Man, you know. And yeah, he, he and one, Ant-Man, yeah. One of the most memorable lines is, does anybody have any orange slices? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just one of those completely idiotic things. And for me, I love Spider-Man, but Paul Rudd's Ant-Man is probably my favorite part of Civil War. And just the, you're Captain America. Oh, hey, I know you too. You're cool, but you're Captain America. (laughs) And when he walks up and delivers the line holding Captain America's shield, Captain America, I believe this is yours. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, yeah, it, it adds something. And, you know, people... A lot of DC fans on the internet blast Marvel movies because they're like, oh, they're just silly and humor and dumb. And no, humor is an important part of storytelling to avoid audience fatigue. Yeah, you have to li- you've got to give the audience a break. And, and Civil he- War is serious as hell. And it needed those breaks. And, 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 and you know, and, and, I, and I have to say this, and, and, and this may damn me as a human being, but... Even Michael Bay understands that he oh, does ba- he does bad he, his action is bad, but you but he but he has always understood that you have to work in levity. He does, and uh, some of the more competent examples of that, which uh, the word "competent" use loosely here, um, The Rock. Yeah, um, the ro- you know, casting Nicolas Cage, you know. Is, Every once in a while, Nicolas Cage can just say something ridiculous and do his Nicolas Cage face. And, you know, everyone laughs. But, uh, yeah, Michael Bay isn't very funny and he's not very good at humor, but he does understand the concept. And every so often, he'll pull it off. You know, and I think he tries it a little too often. It falls flat too much of the time. But it he does understand the core concept of it. Yeah, and... and- and I, I'll say, in many ways, it will make one of his movies more watchable than some of the recent blockbuster attempts. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, if you had to pick, if you had to, if you had to pick something, I'm like, I'm gonna, I will roll my eyes a lot during a Michael Bay movie. Oh, almost uh, nonstop. Almost nonstop. But I mean, it's possible that there might be a moment out of there that I might extract that I might enjoy. Um, but the, uh, I just don't want to see a movie that's just, just pressure after pressure of just, just things blowing up and, and all that stuff. Uh, I, I think that I was really, I think there was just a border of where I was. I might not have enjoyed Godzilla, the most recent one. Mm -hmm. If I hadn't been, you know, if it hadn't been broken up by watching monsters beat each other up. Yeah. Uh, which was that was fun to watch, but that what that movie needed was a little bit of of levity. Oh, okay. Uh, the uh, it needed a little bit of it. It was it was I, I still enjoyed the movie, but it needed a little bit more. Sure. So anyway, yeah. Uh, anyway, we're, we're way off. Yeah, we're no. way off. Let's uh, jump onto uh, Preacher, the book. Okay. okay. Yeah. Merging with a bizarre spiritual force called Genesis. Texan preacher Jesse Custer becomes completely disillusioned with the belief that he has dedicated. Oh boy, I screwed that up. Disillusioned with the belief that he had dedicated his entire life to. 
Now possessing the power of the word and ability to make people do whatever he utters, Custer begins a violent and riotous journey across the country. Joined by his gun-toting girlfriend Tulip and the hard-drinking Irish vampire Cassidy, the preacher loses faith in both man and God as he witnesses dark atrocities and improbable calamities during his exploration of America. Uh, you know, most of the people listening to this have probably read Preacher at some point. Um, I hadn't read some of the pieces since like 95, 96, 97. And it's interesting to go back to it, especially when compared to the television show. And this is Nick's favorite comic of all time. So, you know what? Take it away, Nick. Okay. So this was the book that got me into comics. Uh, I was sitting at a store uh, that was about to close, the now defunct Tower Records. Right. Um, and they were clearing out their comic book section as well. And I sat there on the phone with Brock and said, I got some comics in front of me. What should I buy? Uh, and, he, uh, and then he mentioned Preacher. And I go, oh, I see, you know, I, I see this here. And he goes, yeah, you, he goes, you should read that. I went, All right. I picked up the first volume um, that I'm now holding in my grubby little hands again. Um, and I read through it. And I went immediately out and picked up the rest that I could uh, until I finished it all. Had and, the series finished by that point? Oh, yeah. Oh, it had. Okay. Um, the uh, so. Uh, well, it couldn't have been that long because it finished in. That's true. Two thousand two ish, maybe. That's true. So it probably only had been finished by a, for a year or two. Yeah. Um, the uh, so, I you know I never realized when I finished it then that it was that close to the end of the run. Yeah. Um, the because I'm like I'm reading these trades. This must have been a while ago. Uh, but, preacher is one of the best stories I've read. I, I mean, it's a great comic book, but it's a great story. It really is. Um, the, uh, it is as episode as episodic reading goes, it's great. Um, as a whole narrative, it's great. Um, the exploration into the different characters is, is one of my favorite elements. Um, there, there was a, there's a part of this book when, uh, the, a relationship between uh, Jesse Custer and uh, Cassidy is tested. Um, the uh, or you see Cassidy kind of at his worst, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of, that gut punched me. Uh, probably more than anything else in the book did, but it was really. Uh, but I saw you know elements there that were really impactful, um, and it's it's also just funny like yeah it is i would stop so funny. stop the, stop close the book and laugh my ass off uh just there's there's an introduction to a character that is within in the first few issues one of the best introductions i've ever seen of a character um and it's ridiculously funny uh, so and I was so disappointed when they didn't do the same introduction for him in the in the show. Yeah, that was. We've talked about the show a little bit. Um, my problem with the pilot was still that they tried to introduce everybody in the first forty-two minutes, which didn't really make sense. And second, they could have easily kicked the can down the road for two, maybe three episodes, and introduced our space the way he was in the comic which delivers Cassidy delivers one of the best lines and most memorable introductions to a character and it's simply that boy's got an arse for a face (laughs) and there is born the legend of arse face one you know kind of non sequitur (laughs) you know line from (laughs) one of the main characters and (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe they missed that. They passed that opportunity. It's even better because Cassidy's on the ground bleeding. Yes, that fellow's got a face like an arse. Yes, <laughs> he's pointing, just pointing at him while arse face is running and crying. Uh, it's it's so beautiful. It's when we're talking about moments of levity and something that's serious. Serious. That is a stop. What you're doing. 
you, you close the book you're going to close the book and you're just going to laugh a little bit yeah because uh, that was it, that was a perfect example of breaking up something because our space is a horribly tragic character everything mm-hmm. about him i mean the just how isolated he was and how he became quote unquote our space the way he's treated by his father and you know it, it could really wear you down and that one little line just flips you know you're your la- emotion on its head it's so funny because you're a horrible person for laughing at it but you can't stop no you 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 can't help but at least chuckle at it yeah the uh so that is this the the book has a number of like episodic elements like um, almost like adventures off into different weird po- parts of the United States um, that, that they sort of advance the main story, but they're really also there to be kind of absurd. Um, the, uh, when they get to that portion, which is really, uh, well, they get, they get to one side story before they get to a major story element. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, um, the, the trip to New York, um, that's a you know a little bit absurd, but not too much. Um, when they go to their second absurd place, which is uh, the was it the California San Francisco the San Francisco uh, party, that's oh, the, yeah. that's that's when you can tell Garthiness likes to go after the absurd. Yeah, and I, I think a little bit to his own detriment at times, especially <laughs> later because he 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 continued down, he kept doubling down on that idea. Um, and it kind of wore me out after a while. But in Preacher, it's his best example that I've ever read of juggling the absurd while still grounding it enough with solid characterizations and characters that aren't built solely on perversion. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jesse Custer, Cassidy, and Tulip are perverse in their own right, but they're still very identifiable with the with the audience and jesse custer is a very good man yeah they're like but he's also a very bad man yeah well he 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 is um the uh and uh but the story i mean still one his uh his family story is fantastic It, it is absolutely fantastic and it's what it was unfortunately it's one of those things that i find sacred in the story and it's one of the when they get to the show, I'm touching that and changing it in any way is something yeah, you they, do with. They already changed something. They already changed something in the first episode or maybe the second. I think it's like the first. Yeah. First yeah. or second episode um, immediately tells you that that story is going to be a little is going to be different. And which it shouldn't be. Really, yeah. It should not have been um, the. uh so I, I really there, there's a there's an element that has to come up in the show, and it will absolutely have to come up, um, but it's already changed. So the uh, um, so it's because and because it's so well done in the book, it yeah. is what that that entire like two issue three issue piece um, is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. And maybe my biggest problem with the way the show has started is the book at its very core, and it, this continues through almost all the book with a few detours here and there. It is a buddy road trip story. Yeah. And the show is not doing that at all. At least uh, I've only seen three episodes. But <laughs> they, uh, just spoiler alert, they have not left. Uh, yeah, and, I suspect it. So they have not left Anvil yet. There's all these feelings like there might be something that might kick them off on that road trip, but they have not left yet. And that's disappointing because that is such a core concept in the book. Mm-hmm. And it, they're changing a lot of things, and I understand why they're changing a lot of them. They're changing a lot of things, and I don't understand why they're changing them at all. Uh, Arse face. No reason, no to, reason to change him. None. No reason to bring him in that early. No. And um, no reason to change his story other than the fact that he did what he did because of Kurt Cobain. But you could easily transition that in, into, you know, the 21st century. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah, that's um, really easy. 
even changing a little bit of his relationship with his dad. Uh, I mean, um, his dad the, spoke to him in the show. Yeah, which was immediately wrong to me. Yep, I, it bothered me so much because oh, I didn't. I, I was thinking of how much how much uncomfortable silence. Yeah. Could you re could you pull out of that with a with a energetic and positive arse face talking to a completely deadpan dad? Yeah, just a stone wall. Stone and you know and then you know and still the, the, the still the piece of them the picture of them sitting in front of a TV that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just talking at his dad. And his dad is not, just not reacting at all. No. And it's stuff like that that I don't understand. Why? why? Why did they change that? Because that is... Listen, if there's something that's done just wonderfully in, you know, an adapted medium, and there's no reason to change that, I mean, it would actually maybe have more impact in a television show because there would be such uncomfortable silence where a comic book with an empty panel, it carries weight, but not like it does in uh, motion pictures video. Uh, you know, silence is really uncomfortable to the audience in TV. And so why why would you move away from that when it might even have more impact and make it more important? Yeah. So uh, there's elements that I didn't feel that they had to change. Yeah. Um, if I understood, I understood them keeping things in Anvil for a while, and it and for for the least of which is it probably kept their budget down for the first season. Yeah. Significantly. Yeah, I totally um, get that. Um, but what I didn't understand was changing Arseface's story a bit. Uh, is weaving him in early, uh, this early. I didn't quite get. Um, I totally understand bringing in Quinn Cannon this early. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, because you could throw him anywhere. He was a side, he was really a side story in the, in the comic books yeah. and he's not in the first three volumes. Um, the, uh, but he, you can toss him really anywhere. Um, so I really just don't, I, I, but, but when you talk about, um, arse face or, um, the, uh, Jesse's father, that sort of stuff is, Treat treat with kid gloves. Yeah, I didn't understand the change for the father at all because, as you said, it changes Jesse's origin story enormously. I mean, yes. there is no way you can show Jesse's father in preacher uh, in, a co- in a collar. Yeah, in a collar, and still maintain Jesse's origin story. That that entirely breaks it. So, and for what reason? Why? I mean, that, that was one of the most powerful. That, the end, and I believe that's the end of the first volume, maybe. Maybe the first part of the second volume is Jesse's origin story. Yeah. And that is where Preacher goes from good to great. Yes. Um, that is, it really is one of the pivotal moments. I mean, it is it is so good that your real option in making that in the show is to translate it as directly and faithfully as possible. Yeah. Because it is one of the best elements. Um, the, uh, why he was, why he was a preacher at all, um, is sent is central to, mm-hmm. to his story. Um, so yeah, I, I just don't, there's, there's things that I don't know how they're going to make it work. Yeah. Because Jesse Custer in the book is a preacher out of spite almost. Mm-hmm. At least initially, he is. And then later he, you know, more grows into the role. But with that, I mean, Jesse's origin is so complex and engaging. And he is such a character that is turmoil-ridden. Which explains why he's so violent and why he's all these things that, that round out the character. I don't understand why you... And right in the beginning of the book, the fact that he is kind of guilt-ridden because he killed 200 people is really kind of goddamn important to the character. Yeah. Um, and it's why it's one of the reasons why he's so mad at God. Yeah. And so 
I don't understand why you're why you're removing those layers of the character that that make him so compelling and changing them. And I maybe it'll be explained later in the season, but I don't see how it can be explained adequately. Yeah. But with that said, at least the first three episodes of the show, I'm enjoying it. It's it's enter- it's still entertaining. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, I'm caught up, and it's still entertaining. There's still moments here and there where I kind of see where they're going. They've moved some things around, um, but I, I kind of see where they're going. Uh, the uh, have you have you have you seen uh, more of the story? Have you seen more of the story of the saint? Uh, just the very beginning where the okay. flashes back to the 1800s. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So you haven't seen more of that yet. One of the characters we have not mentioned is a, a pivotal character and that's the saint of killers. Yeah. Um, the, uh, he is in the first volume. Um, the, uh, and he is, um, he is sort of Garth Enos's brutal righteousness in the, in, yes. in, in the book. Um, he, uh, he is the, he is the unstoppable force. Yes. And in the third volume, he is one of the key components of the series that allows all the characters to pivot rather unexpectedly. Yes. And again, if you're changing these things, how does that crucial pivot that is very important to the story, because it's not like you can kill the Saint of Killers, you obviously can't kill Jesse, and you have an immovable force versus an unstoppable object, that character pivot is really important because it allows them both to continue existing. Immovable force, unstoppable object. I somehow think it was supposed to be... Uh, never mind. <laughs> Unstoppable force, immovable object, whatever. Something like, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but I yes, never. words yes. are hard. I know. <laughs> it's just, it's, it just my brain was trying to. If you if you imagine in my brain for a moment, yeah. the uh, a very confused toddler trying to trying to put square pegs in round holes. <laughs> it was it was what was going on in my brain when I was trying to <laughs> trying to make sure that that made sense. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, but yes, uh, the, uh, the way that they clash them together is great. Um, and, uh, the saint is, uh, a, is one of the, is one of the major, uh, characters you follow through who, who flips from sort of being an, a, an antagonist to, to having his own story. Yes. Um, the, uh. And it's great. The um, you, and then of course, and we later on we get the introduction of uh, one of the one of the great villains, Hair Star. Um, the Hair uh, Star is is a is a great villain because he is very he, because he is very smart, very brutal, but he also has some uh, interesting quirks to him, um, and he is in a way the opposite of Jesse. Yes. Um, the, uh, whereas Jesse resolves things with his fists, um, Hairstar does it with guns and is not good when he doesn't have a gun. Yeah. Um, the, uh, he is, he is calculating and always, he's trying to turn something to his advantage and it kind of blows up to, blows up on him. Um, but the, uh, he, he's still not my favorite villain of the entire piece. Um, I think my favorite villain is, uh, I, lo- uh, I love Jody. Yeah. Jody is fantastic. I also prefer the Saint of Killers over Airstar. Yeah, but he's so, but, but, but Saint of Killers, you know, you can be convinced at some point that he's not, a, not the villain. Yeah. And that's true. He's more, he borders between slight antagonist to, um, uneasy ally. Yeah. So the, uh. Um, there, this isn't a book that has a ton of, I mean, it has, it has villains, but not, um, there's only one villain that truly is an arching villain through the whole piece. Um, the, uh, and then there's God. 
the uh, but uh, it really has the characterization of the protagonists that go through and then the people around them is is just beautiful yeah um you know i had a point and now i just totally lost it thanks nick I'm you are totally you. welcome oh, that's <laughs> fine i'm okay with it I, I mean if if you're gonna blame me for something that irritates you then uh feature not a bug right oh um what it was is one flaw in the book is that jesse and tulip are too competent uh upon rereading the book there's one scene where air star basically he outmaneuvers them he takes a bunch of military commandos who don't speak a word of english so jesse doesn't have any power over them and jesse and tulip escape entirely unscathed and that part of the book i just went oh really garth that was a little bit lazy um, they basically just punched their way out of it. It's a little bit absurd. Yeah, fair enough. I, uh, and I, that was one thing that kind of rode through my rereading of the story pretty consistently. I was like, they're just... I mean, he's a preacher who knows how to fight. She's a girl with a gun who actually, in the beginning of the story, had never shot anybody. It, and that's one thing I think they did right with the show is that Tulip has a backstory that lends herself to competence mm -hmm. much more. Um, and they just kind of shoot and punch their way through anything that comes their way. Mm. And I'm kind of like, well, uh, uh, there should be a little bit more adversity there. But everything else about it, I can't complain about. So that's a, that's a little bit nitpicky. Uh, might I also add that Steve Dillon really likes to draw people without jaws? Yes, he does. <laughs> there are multiple people who get shot in the jaw. Yep. Um, the uh, so it's it's almost a weird trademark that if there is a big gunfight, somebody is going to be drinking through a straw at the end of it, if at yeah. all. Um. So I, I don't know why else that is, but it's it's a almost a. I been reading through it really quickly. I'm like, man, that, that guy has no jaw. Hey, what do you know? This guy over here, he's missing one too. Mm -hmm. um, so evidently bullets in the uh, Preacher universe are attracted to mandibles. <laughs> just, just, just something to point out. Yeah. That's a the, fair uh, observation to make. Yeah. The, uh, I will, will be really important. I will be really uh, disappointed if um, what happened to uh, Sheriff Root in the uh, comic books doesn't happen to him in the show. Yeah, it really needs to. It is. Uh... They need to lift. A, they need to lift a little bit more from the books. They a do. little bit, a little bit more direct scenes from the books are, are we, I think it's kind of the fans, the fans of the book need that. Uh, they need that to ground ground them a little bit and say yes, this is the comic book. We're not just uh, we're not just making something that's that's themed after the book. Mm -hmm. Where we are going to tell this, we are going to tell a lot of the same story. Yeah, we're not just capturing the characters. We're actually capturing some of the key elements that made you love the book in the first place. And you know, I'm not a big fan of fan service. I think. It's largely unnecessary because you're talking about fans who are, you know, a small segment of the queue or the group. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it's a fine line to walk where if you're adapting something because it's good, why are you discarding the, some of the things that made it so good? <laughs> Yeah, I understand why they were taking it slower because the first part of the book is very quick. Yes, um, the that's totally fine. But then they front loaded uh, the first episode with everybody. Yeah, which is so. Yeah, uh, no, we'll see. I mean, we're just gonna see. Yeah. Um, the uh, hopefully we will we will see more of what we're looking a, a little bit more pieces of the book the, like take the best make make sure when there is a an element of the book that is really good i mean you 
in, include that because it is really good. Yeah. Um, Jesse's family, you've already done something. You, what you guys have to do to what the uh, showrunners have to do to make that right is something they have to make it as good because if it's not as good, it's going to be a deep criticism of the show. Yeah. And you're really putting an undue burden on yourself because in the first volume, or whenever it happens, uh, maybe in the second volume, that is the defining moment of the series to that point. So you're challenging yourself to do something as good or better than the defining moment of one of the best comic book series ever written. Yeah, and it is. It, I, I, I mean, obviously, given how I led into this, this is one of the best comic book series I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't expect to read too many better than this. It is um, when they uh, when they wrapped this up, they made uh, Garth Ennis finished his story. Yeah. Um, there is no reason for them to ever go back to the story. Um, the uh, It is, and maybe after we were a few more, if the show goes a few more seasons, I know it's up, it's got uh, season two is already greenlit um, and it's going to be a longer season. Um, oh, but maybe when we get to, maybe if they get to season three, maybe we'll dig up the rest of them and we'll, we'll talk through the rest. But I'd like to get, I'd like to see where they are in the storyline uh, yeah. by that point so we can compare. Um, but it's a great book. Uh, it, it has every everything you could hope uh, for. It has uh, char- uh, character development. There are Jesse. Jesse goes through a, a good amount of character development from volumes one to two, um, and then for a little bit, he kind of he's kind of who he is for a while, mm-hmm. um, and then we get into later volumes. He ha- kind of has another moment. Yeah, which um, which is really masterful storytelling because you you front uh, not front load but. Um kind of front load a lot of character advancement and a lot of character explanation while still telling a story but then you kind of put the character on cruise control and let him experience things for a while and then you gather yourself back up and have another character you know defining slash pivot moment take the character down that road for a while and it's you know i have really niggling issues with the series but it is fantastic overall yeah yeah the uh, and and he's not the only one that goes through development <laughs> no no uh, everybody uh, has their time yes uh cassidy uh, cassidy definitely has development which is definitely tied in with tulips development as well um yeah the uh, um there is um the flaws of characters are explored um mm-hmm. Which is which is uh, one of the beauties of the of the book. Um, he takes his characters far more seriously in this book than he has the other works that I've seen him write. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, um, he certainly takes multiple characters' development more seriously in this. Uh, so um, if you haven't read it, you should be reading it. Absolutely. Um, there are nine volumes. Uh, so we've just gone through three, yeah. which means show wise for progression. Well, who knows? Probably what about four is. seasons, probably about four seasons. Really. They have really, they should try to find some way to compress it into three, um, or else the show will never end. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't have a 12 year no, series. No. Um, and that's kind of at the pace they're going right now. That's kind of where they are. So, but you know what? As the show or as the book progresses, there are kind of filler moments that, while kind of fun and interesting, don't really need to be there. Well, they trimmed out one of them already. Oh, what part is that? Queen Cannon. Oh, right. They front loaded him. He's already in the the first episode, so he can't he he can't be he can't be that part of the show later. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. So uh, we might see more of that as they go along. We might see them pull. Uh, somebody from a longer issue arc um, and pull them earlier and then weave them in somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, the I see Desaad being that kind of character. Um, yeah. The uh, So, because I don't know, I just don't know how much they're going to have for doing as much, like, 
truly sidestep it. We'll see. Uh, I guess we'll just see. I mean, you don't need you don't need an entire volume on Desaad. Um, you don't need a you don't need an entire season on him either. Um, he's one part of it. Um, but we'll see. I, I think you you could almost do the the second volume of this book is almost an entire season. Yeah, it really in and, is. In and of itself, it's cover. It covers a lot of ground. Um, there's so much. If you're writing it for for a show, you can't zip through all that. Um, no, no, there. It, it's pretty dense. Yeah, because his like his family story arc in and of itself has can't be uh, can't be one episode or two episodes, and which is funny because in really in the in the in the volume, it's not that long. Um, the uh, it is. Let's see if I if I hold uh, if I'm holding this in my uh, let's see it is how much of the first vo- the second volume. Um, that's half of the first vo- second. It's half of the second volume. So it's what three issues? Yeah. About three issues. About three I issues. Guess it long? is only about that. Yeah, his, that his that pivotal story arc is about three issues long. Yeah, I knew it was short, but boy, I would have said six. Yeah, it's but half, I think you're right. It's only half the it's only half the volume, so I'd have to see what that is in absolute issues. But yeah. um, if I'm holding it, just the just doing the judgment by holding the volume in my hand and seeing how many pages I'm holding mm-hmm. in my hand, I'm halfway through the book. Wow. So, um, and then after that. You have an entire other story, so we'll see <laughs> how yeah. they pull that off. Um, but uh, I have some hopes. Least of all, they got some of the characters right, or they changed, and and some of the changes of characters I don't mind too much. Yeah, and they really did nail the casting and attitude of Tulip, Jesse, and Cassidy, which is maybe the most important thing. Well, you can see where Jesse's. You could see where Jesse Jesse's. Uh, um, you can see where he might end up having a bit more of the attitude that he ends up in the com ends up having in the comics. Yeah, and because I think one of the most important things that is implied in the book, but uh, maybe is shown a little bit better in the show because it takes place in Anvil, mm-hmm. is that Dominic Cooper and he does a very good job conveying this. There's a fatigue about the character. Yeah. And I think that's really important to Jesse. And it's not explained in the book per se. And because I think that kind of thing is really hard to convey in a comic book. And it starts on the road. So, yeah, I, I, I really like Dominic Cooper. as I, That's his name, I hope, I think. It is. Dominic Cooper is yeah. his name. Um, I really like him as Jesse Custer. I really yeah. like him. I, I agree. Uh, so it's it, it does look like there's a point where, where although it looks like they're doing going a little bit of a kind of a, a different direction of how he how he gets there but we'll see yeah um, the uh, in the comic book he gets tired of the bullshit and it's been weighing on him for a long time mm-hmm. so um, the uh, will uh, I mean I'll keep watching uh, new uh, the uh, uh, we're getting closer to the end yeah. Yeah, I'm probably going to catch up tonight, if not tomorrow. Yep, the that's uh, it's interesting. What they they did something very different in the last week's episode. Okay. So um, it was enough for me to go, okay, that wasn't in the books. Now you really have to tell me what you're gonna. Now you really have to give me some different direction. Interesting. Okay. Uh, it's a big, it's a big change. Okay. It's a massive change. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> okay, yes, um, we will. Yeah, luckily, um, uh, uh, my wife really likes Cassidy. Oh, uh, I, I mean, it's impossible not to. That yeah. guy just kills it. Oh. Yeah, uh, uh, Joe Gilgan. Yeah. Uh, is an English actor. Uh, but he nails fast-speaking Irish. Yep. So it's yeah, there's re- a lot of uh, channeling of Brad Pitt from Snatch in that character. Yeah, <laughs> there is. It's it, it's impossible not to like him. Oh he, yeah, it he, is. Ap- he appears on he appears, and you just start laughing. Yep. 
Um, so it, it, the it, but when he starts ta- when he starts talking, uh, still my favorite line is Wonderdo. Yeah, and you can barely <laughs> understand what he's saying, and it's just like in his expression and his body movement just sells that line entirely. Just Wonderdo. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I'm just standing here. What, what do you What do you mean? I didn't do anything. <laughs> Realistically, what he did was kick a chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep watching the show. I'm really glad I went and reread the books because it reminds me of just how good they are. Yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, the dialogue is great. Yeah. Um, Garthinus and dialogue. Garthinus does does great dialogue better than most writer or most comic yeah. writers I've ever most writers I've ever uh, read. Yeah, when he, um, for example, one of the great moments is when the angel starts telling. There's an angel captured by the Grail, and he's pinned up. And Jesse says, "Well, t- you know, tell me your story or whatever." And the angel starts waxing poetic, and you just hear, see in the background, "Hey, hey!" interrupting him. And Jesse finally says something like, "Listen, are you going to sit here and tell me shitty poetry all day long, or are you going to tell me what happened?" <laughs> yeah. And it was just one of those great moments that I mean, he just—it's weird that Garthinus is English and he nails this Texan no nonsense. Yes, he. I was just going to say, so well. nail. There's an American cut to the chase. Yep, that is in this that he under that he understands, and he makes so fucking charming. Yep, in in that character, in in not just Jesse, but uh, but Tulip, uh, Tulip as well. Uh, yeah, Tulip as well. Um, it's so great, um, and it's actually in a lot of the characters. So all the characters you really like kind of uh, are cut through bullshit yeah they do uh even even hair star hair star is the same way mm-hmm. they are they are decisive oh yeah hair star is a bad bad man but you want to see more of him even though you yeah. you, you don't like him per se but you kind of do yeah the uh you, 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 one of the things that's good about how, so here's one of the things about villains. You kind of have to want to see them. Oh, absolutely. You, the uh, you want to you want them to to see them on on the page or on the screen because a good villain is fascinating or entertaining mm-hmm. or funny or you know the any of those things. It's just and Hairstar, either you know what he does or what happens to him is is either funny or or great or you um he doesn't strike you as incompetent no um, he's he, extremely competent but also flawed yeah yeah i mean so, it, it's very important for the villain to endear himself in some way now when i say endear i don't necessarily mean in a in a positive fashion but somehow engage the audience because you know no one ever said about the dark knight damn i wish the joker was in it less you know yeah. nobody said about star wars you know that darth vader just consumed too much screen time yeah. you know nobody says those things because it's important to make the other side interesting too yep absolutely it's it's the uh hero uh villains define heroes yeah uh, um, yeah and 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 in some cases they can be so great they define your story. Yeah, I mean, Dark Knight Joker defined that story easily. Easily. Uh, yeah. The uh, he he uh, everything everything he he led that movie around, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, Batman spent the movie trying to catch up. Yep. In many in many ways, trying to catch up. Um. So the and in some ways never caught up, no. um, but yes. Uh, so this this um, characters that pop up in this can be memorable, um, and villains are memorable. Um, Quid Cannon later in the books is memorable. Yes, um, yes, yes. The uh, if, if if not the if if at the very least for one stupid page, um, one page almost nails him as a character um which i don't know if they could or ever possibly do in the show 
um, the uh, they may not uh, uh, him and sausage um, or him and meat. Yes. Um, yes, I had forgotten. <laughs> um, the um, like, and there's uh, there. I mean, Hair Star has a number of defining moments. Um, a knife wound that he receives is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that has to be in the show. Um, the it almost defines it. It further defines him physically as a character. Um, uh, there is just lots of weird, quirky stuff that pops up, and it's another one of those things that's brilliant about the book is it's just quirky. Yeah. Yep. So um, anyway, we're going long. Yeah, and we're I, going super long. But anyway, it's all great. We love Preacher. We will be coming back to Preacher multiple times over the next year. Uh, We are going to review the entire series, um, you know, probably three volumes at a time. So we'll we'll do the next one in, I don't know, two months, four months, whenever. Um, We'll definitely come back to it. Yeah, we'll see. It also depends on the show too. So I want to see where the want to see where the show is. Uh, but you know what? Don't wait for us if you haven't read it. Um, and this is for some reason you're finding our podcast as the first time you've heard that you should be reading this. You just go read it. Go read it. Um, Absolutely, go, the whole go, thing. However, I mean, I, I I don't even care what kind of even if you are a comic book fan. And you wouldn't be probably listening to us anyway if you weren't. But if you were, if you weren't a comic book fan, it is a good story. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's, there's no superhero heroism in this uh, in this book. It is a um, it is an oddball kind of comic book in that it's just its own. Yes, it is. It, it, is, it is often its own world. Um, it is everything that I always thought comic books could be um, or should be, and that is telling interesting weird stories uh with visuals that you you know with with visuals that enhance it by making you laugh or uh or surprising you um the uh it is it is all of that and Mm -hmm. not and not tied to anybody else um the uh there's no there's no taint of another story worming its way in nope to, to be a part of some universe or something. This is Garthinus writing his story. Um, they, this is, uh, Steve Dillon, uh, Steve Dillon brilliantly depicting it, um, and, and bringing, bringing it to life. Um, the, uh, it is, you should read it because it is one of the better literary works of the last 20 years. Yeah. Agreed. So with that said, I mean, that that's a mic drop right there. So let's get the hell out of here, shall we? All right. Okay. Thanks All right, for partner. listening. Thanks for listening. Be sure to drop us a line at countercomic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at schlockworks.com, where you can view our podcast archives or check out on some of our other projects. Or swing by iTunes or Stitcher and give us a review. That's all I have for this week. I'm Brock Beauchamp. I'm Nick Hemsing. Bye, everybody.